right. One of the big points that he is making here, big points, is this. Is that as the people of God, you and I, we display the goodness. Now get this. This is kind of coming at the, the, the flow of this whole passage. Is that we display for everyone to see the good news of the gospel through our submission to the authorities in our lives and our right responses when our rights are violated. Doesn't look like hardly anybody really wanted to hear that. But that's what he's telling us. That's what he's teaching here. Uh, the world in which we live, brothers and sisters, is becoming more and more corrupt and godless. Am I on track there? Say amen. Okay. All right. Uh, and it is becoming more and more intolerant and violent even toward those who hold to the truths of Scripture. And so he challenged us. And here's the challenge that we see is that as the world becomes increasingly hostile, the church must become increasingly holy. There's going to be a contrast. It's the contrast between like light and dark. Oh, yeah. In fact, that's used time and time in Scripture, isn't it? Okay. Now, stay with me because you got to understand that Christians during Peter's time. Now, we got to first look at the context and think about the people to whom it was first written. And so when this was first written and the atmosphere, it's going to help us understand it so we can apply it to our time by looking at that. And you need to understand that in Peter's time, the Roman Empire was ruling almost the entire known world with an iron fist. And that Christians, these early Christians, were misunderstood. They were hated by many, many of them were Jewish, but as they put their faith in Christ, it, it brought division between them and their families. And many of them were ostracized, many of them were persecuted. And the, 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 the Jews, Christ uh, was like a stumbling stone. They stumbled, they were offended by him. And to the Greeks or the Gentiles, the Romans, the whole thing of Christ was foolishness to them. They were misunderstood. In fact, history tells us that they were false Christians at this time were being falsely accused by their culture of insurrection. Why? Because they wouldn't bow before Caesar. They would not worship Caesar as God because they didn't just worship him. They didn't just honor him as emperor. They worshiped him as God. Christians could not do that. And then they accused them of being atheists because the Romans worshiped many gods and the Christians would not worship them. They only worshiped one God and they were called atheists by many. Um, they accused them of, of incest because they talked about love in a different way than, than, than what the Roman culture understood love. And they talked, you know, brothers and sisters and colleagues and things like that. They didn't understand that. Um, they were also accused of cannibalism. Did you know that? The Roman government, because they would hear them talking about partaking of Christ and, and the body and the blood and, and eating the body and blood of Christ about communion, right? And they didn't understand that. So these are things, these are just some of the things that they were accused of. And, you know, this picture, and a lot of people didn't know anything about them or what they were, but they would hear this. And so they would just, you know, ooh, right? And so there was a lot of negative sentiment. There was hostility. There was violence. 
as then we understand probably from history that when Rome was burned, that perhaps Nero blamed it on this little group of that spreading across the empire, Christians. And so intense persecution started. So this is the world that they lived in. The deranged and wicked Nero is the emperor. Oh, we got the setting and we can move on now, right? Okay, you've got it. Good. They didn't even get a chance to vote on Nero. They had no choice. They didn't get a chance to voice any of their opinions or to have a, 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 count, a, vo- a, a vote that counted in the policies that were enacted upon them, like we do. And that's why uh, we have an opportunity. And you know what? We should view it as a privilege because a lot of people in the world don't even have an opportunity to be involved in what happens in their society. Yeah. Uh, and it's not only an opportunity, it's a responsibility. See, that's a privilege we have. And you know, there's always talk about privilege. And you know what? I will say that, th- that I thank God that I was born with a lot of privilege. For one thing, I came from a family. Mom and dad stuck together and they worked together to make life as good as possible for us boys. And then the ones that went before them, my grandparents and great-grandparents did many things that caused benefits that I enjoyed. I did not pick the family in which I was born. I am blessed. And Jesus said, to whom much is given, much is expected. So what happens is, is because I have this, I have responsibility. See, that's what privilege brings. It brings responsibility that now because of what I've been given, that I can be used by God to make an impact For those who don't, right? But the thing about it is when you have a blessing, when you have an opportunity, when you have a privilege, you have a responsibility. And because we're Americans and because others have died to give us the ability to be involved in the process, I want to tell you, culture matters. Our culture matters. And if it weren't for people upholding decency and truth and love for one another, what would society be like? Can we have a purging, holy effect on those around us? And so culture is important. And because our society is important. And because of all that, that means politics is important. It is. And it is important that you, and I can't tell you how to vote on things, but it's important that you do so. Because this privilege has been, see, you think what Peter and Paul and those guys, had they had an opportunity to vote on the emperor, I guarantee you they would have done it. Okay? They would have done it. And so understand the setting really helps us. And so we think about the the mixed up world we live in, not nearly as bad as their day. And there was all this persecution, but yet the Christians continued to faithfully obey God by serving and by giving generously and by displaying kindness, especially on those who were oppressing them. By the way, Roman Empire is long gone. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ is alive and well. And so in doing this, in displaying kindness to those who are pressing them, they disproved those prejudices of their accusers, even if it did not resolve their suffering, even if it didn't stop their suffering. All right. Now, as we jump through this and let's move, we're going to move through very quickly. So jump in and hang on. All right. Uh, Because he says in verse 11, he says this, beloved, I urge you as sojourners 
and exiles to abstain from the passage of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Now, he's setting this up. He's setting this up for what he's going to say later. So that we uh, abstain from the passions of the flesh. They wage war against our soul. And he says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles. That's those who are unbelievers. Honorable. The way you live, your actions are very important. So that when they speak evil of you, uh, speak against you as evildoers, uh, guess what? The evidence isn't going to match up. That by they'll see your good deeds. They'll see you returning good for evil and, and, and giving blessings. Blessing in exchange for cursing. And they're going to see that. And that the end result is that maybe it's going to get through to them. And that they will glorify God on the day of visitation. Is what he's saying there. So this is, this is talking about setting up for what we got to deal with in, in our society. Is that there starts in here. There's a battle inside and out. Okay. That's what he's talking about. Verses 11 and 12. The battle inside. So so. Living testimonies. You and I become living testimonies as we, in, as we overcome by the blood of the Lamb struggles on the inside and the outside. We've got a lot of struggles out here, and we're going to deal with that, but it starts in here. Do you see that? Oh, and by the way, don't forget who you are. Did you notice he starts out, Beloved. First verse, or first word in that verse, uh, verse 11, beloved. Now, I know some uh, translations maybe translate that dear friends or all that, but it's actually one word in the Greek, and it is an adverb form of the word agape. So he's saying love, you are loved, and beloved is a great way to translate that. Don't forget how much you are loved. By God. Don't forget what he did to prove his love. Don't forget. Remember what we've already studied? Anybody? Don't forget that you are a chosen generation. Don't forget that you are a royal priesthood. Don't forget that you are a holy nation. As well as living stones. Who are being built up into a spiritual house. To offer spiritual sacrifices. Acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We studied that last time. Also remember this. You have enemies that you got to deal with. Even though you're saved, even though you're redeemed, even though the Spirit of God lives inside you, your name is written in heaven, you have some enemies you have to deal with during their time on planet Earth. You've got to deal with this world that was uh, sin-infected. The Earth was actually cursed after Adam and Eve sinned. The climate, the, the, whole, the ground was cursed. But we live in a world that is infected by sin. We see it everywhere. We really, we, you really see it now. And social media and everything has given more and more outlets to that sinful nature. Uh, that we were born in sin. Uh, as in Adam we all die, Paul says. David said, in sin did my mother conceive me. We're born with a sinful nature. We inherited it from Adam. That we inherited when Adam sinned, the whole human race fell. And all those who have descended from Adam are born with that sinful nature. In us. And I mean, I don't know how come some people don't understand this. Have they ever raised a kid? You know what I'm saying? A one year old. I mean, they, when you take away something, it's, ah! and I mean, they'll bite. You don't have to teach them any of that and pinch and pull. You don't have to teach them any of that. And I've determined that if a one year old was full size and full strength, they would take over the whole house, maybe the whole town. They would rule the world. <laughs> you know, that's the desire, the evil desire that's in. And you see that. And you see that even with, with the, po the political system that we have even. Is that you have, instead of a dictator, you have all kinds of people. And everybody wants power and control. And ah, my way. 
And in and, and all political parties, there's that whole issue of basic human nature that involves greed and selfishness and pride and control, right? So as the people of God, we need to be portraying something different as living testimonies. But because we live in a sin-infected world, we're going to have, no matter how holy you want to be, you're going to be around some unholy things, right? But you need to remember something. This world is not your forever home. (laughs) It's temporary. It is temporary. We are, he's already reminded us twice now. We are like sojourners or aliens. That is, that uh, exile, it's like, the the word is, is like a resident alien. That is, we're living in a country, but our home is somewhere else. Right Right now, I'm actually a, a resident. I'm living here, but my home is not here. My home is somewhere else. Amen? Yes. And during our time here is time not to just endure, but to make an impact for God. Remember in verse 9, and I'm, I'm, I'm rehashing some things because I think we need to review it because it's so powerful. In verse 9, he said that we are here to proclaim his excellency. Are we doing that? Are we, are we proclaiming his excellencies? And because of this, we're sojourners and exiles here in this world, and our home is somewhere else. You need to understand one more thing. We've got another enemy, and that's the sin-cursed flesh. That sinful nature, even though you're saved and redeemed, the new you, the new creature in Christ, lives in this old body of flesh that we're going to lay aside one day, right? Remember in 1 Corinthians, what was it, 1550? That Paul said that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. That this flesh part of me is is not going to be redeemed. It's going to be destroyed. But while I'm here, I've got this battle that goes on between who I want to be. And sometimes the selfish fleshliness that wants me to be something else. This fleshly nature that we all have, it fights against us. But guess what? This world is not my forever home. You ready for it? This flesh is not my forever home either. Yeah. He came to redeem us. And the whole process of my Christian life is me growing to match my practice, to match my position. I am in Christ And when God looks at you, he sees Jesus' righteousness. But when he looks at the way I think and the way I behave every day, I'm not sure he sees Jesus' righteousness and all of that. But as I grow, that's the whole thing of sanctification. I am growing so my practice begins to match my position. I'm becoming who I am in Christ as I'm growing through this. But every day I'm here, I'm going to have that battle, that struggle with the flesh because it fights against us. But it's good to know that flesh nature... Are you listening? It's going to be gone someday. Amen. This sin-cursed part of us, as I said, will not be redeemed. It's going to be destroyed. One day, folks, our resurrection will be complete. Are you hearing me? Inside and out. On that day, we will have perfect physical bodies that will not wear out, will not get sick, will not get hurt, will not age. Somebody ought to say amen. But what's more? Is that great? Wait, there's more. The sinful nature will also be gone forever. 
that sinful flesh nature will be gone forever, conquered, redeemed by Christ. No evil thoughts, no evil desires. Forever you, listen, will be forever. This is temporary, but forever you will be perfect inside and out. That's what we're reminded of here. And so his advice to us is to abstain from those uh, passions that war against our souls. Abstain from those. That means resist. That's what you do on your part. He's promised to give you his, his word to guide you, his presence through the Holy Spirit to empower you, but you still have a will. You have to decide, am I going to submit to him or am I going to do things my way for me? While we're here, we're going to have to deal with this flesh. We're going to have to deal with the corrupt world around us. And I'm going to have to deal with the corrupt me inside of me. I'm sure I'm not the only one, right? No, we all have to. So the instruction is to abstain from the desires of the sinful flesh. He's talking to Christians here. There are going to be desires and things that are going to fight against you that come from, guess where? You! You! So this is before we're dealing with the world. Oh, man. Even though you're saved, even though you feel like I'm growing and I'm sanctified, you still live in a sin-cursed world and a sin-cursed body. There are going to be battles, and God wants you to make this choice. Now, the word to abstain literally means to hold yourself off of something. That's what the word in the Greek literally means. So you've got a choice. And he says, you got a part in this. Now, these passions that he's talking about here are not always, we just automatically say well, the, the, the passions. When he says um, that to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which war against your soul, we think of passions, we think of, of like lust, we think of sensual things. But guess what? It doesn't just involve that. All right? Those are powerful ones? Yes. But it can include anger. It can include greediness. It can include hatefulness. It can include pride. All those things. So those are all passions of the flesh. It may include anything selfish. Where you try to step on and step over and put down other people to make yourself look better. It includes all that, folks. So these sinful fleshly desires, what does he say that they do? Did you catch that? They wage war against what? Your soul. That is the real you, your eternal part of you. They are waging war against the real you. Our battle is not, our real battle is not with the world around us. Our real battle is not with the people around us. It's the passions within us. I've never had anything or anyone yet give me as much trouble in my Christian walk as Mel Moon. I mean, I've been harassed by people and things like that. But th I'd be honest with you, no one that I have the big, the one I have the biggest problem with is the one I see in the mirror. Yeah, he's a rascal. So there's passions that come from within. The word translated war in our text comes from the Greek word stratia. We get the word strategy from that, that, that the enemy has a strategy. This is more than just a conflict, a battle, or a fight. The enemy has a strategy, and he is devising to use it against you. 
There is a strategy. So guess what? That means that you need a strategy. In our text, he says abstain. That means keep these things away from yourself. You're going to help yourself in this whole thing and this battle inside and out when you make the decision that there are some things I need to stay away from. There may be some places I need to stay away from. There may be some people I need to stay away from. Okay, you got it? That's up to you. So that's the advice that he gives us. Uh, as a result of this, it says that those around you are going to notice something. They're going to notice your conduct. They may say bad things about you, but they're going to notice good things coming from you. They may say you're evildoers, but that's not what's going to be the evidence. They can talk it, but that's not what the evidence is. And said, let your conduct be honorable. A lot of what's being done by Christians, even in the name of Christ, isn't very honorable these days. Sometimes. I mean... You know, there's a, lot, uh, there's a lot of unbiblical things being done in the name of the Bible and of Christ. But you're different now. You're handling situations different than the majority of people. That stands out. So when people are saying false things about you, you go out and live. What do I do? And that's happened. It's happened to me before. It's happened to many of you before. And we've talked about it. What do I do? They're saying all these bad things about me. And they're not true. They're not true. There's one piece of advice someone gave me that I've never forgotten. That is, go out and live in such a way that nobody will believe them. What I found out around small communities with all the sick gossip that goes on, people really want to believe lies. They do. Just to hear something juicy. Oh, oh man. You know, but I'm determined in my heart. I'm not going to believe something unless I see evidence of it. So when someone just says somebody did something, somebody said something, somebody's this way, I'm just, I'm just taking it with a grain of sand. I'm, I want, I, 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 until I see the evidence, right? Because people talk. And um, so if someone's talking bad about you, just go out and keep living your life in a way that no one will believe what they say. Even uh, when they try to run you down and say evil things about you, you respond with good. What's wrong with you? Huh? How dare you? Because you're supposed to start fighting back. You're supposed, to, you're, you're supposed to start insulting them back. You're supposed to start running them down in return. What's the, what's the idea here? That as you respond to evil with good, they will see it and God will be glorified. That's the end result of everything. It's for God to be glorified. And guess what? You become a living testimony for Christ. And it's going to impact those around you so much that maybe, and we're praying that they will glorify God on the day that he visits. See, what does that mean? That means that not only is God being glorified because you're doing what's right and for his glory, but it also means it might have an impact on them when God, now that word visitation is a term used for when God visits either with blessing or judgment. It could be referring to the day when God visits them with salvation that they'll glorify God. Or it could mean the day that God visits to judge the world that they'll be ready to glorify God instead of being judged by God because they saw the gospel through your living testimony. That's good news. All right. Uh, so then he says in verse 13... Uh, we're going to go, we're going to take this battle on out now. All right. We got the battle in. It's going to happen around us. But now we live in this messed up world. We got stuff to deal with. Do we not? And guess what? It ain't all our fault. It's stuff going on that we have no control of, but it affects us. Right. And that's why he says next, he says in verse 13 and 14, be subject for the Lord's sake. To every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Uh, there are authority issues 
that we have to deal with. Authority issues. A big part of testimony, of our being a living testimony, does involve how you and I deal with authority issues in our life and how we submit to that authority and deal with it. By the way, in order, everybody wants to have authority. No one wants to be under authority. But I found that in order to have authority, you've got to be under authority. Under his authority, number one. But God has created things with order, and that's part of the order. The word submit, submit, comes from the Greek word upotasso. It's a compound word, and I want to know, I believe these words are inspired, so I want to know what they mean. That means literally to stand up or to arrange, actually. It means to arrange underneath. It means to arrange in order underneath. It was a lot of times used when it was described government or was it described military or whatever, where they have rank and file, how you arrange underneath. All right. So he's saying arrange yourself, that this is something that you do. It, 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 it doesn't mean that they are better than you. It doesn't mean they are smarter than you. But it means you place yourself under their authority. Many of us have worked in jobs or, or maybe you've been someplace where there are people that outrank you, that are higher than you, that aren't as smart as you. Right? You know it. But you make the decision that they're not better than you. They're not necessarily smarter than you. But you submit to that authority voluntarily. It's called order. And uh, this is what he says to do. He says to submit to every, the institutions here uh, of government. Why? Why do we do this? Verse 13, he tells us, for what? The Lord's sake. They may not deserve it. You don't understand. They don't appreciate me. You don't understand. Yeah, but God understands. And he says, you're not doing it for them. You're doing it for me. You're going to be a good employee with that boss who's a jerk and tries to take all the credit for the stuff that you do. And you're not, because you're not doing it for them. You're doing it for me, God says. Because he says, I see. And my rewards aren't just now and forgotten. My rewards are eternal. Amen. Somebody needed to hear that. So, remember the authority he's talking about here is very wicked. It's the Roman government. Nero's the emperor. They had laws, listen to me now, that were very unfair. They had laws that were very, laws that were very unjust. They were taxed very heavily. And that tax money was used to do some very, very wicked things by the Roman government. Yet he's saying we must respect that kind of authority because government is allowed and put in place by God. And see, the thing about it is, 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 is what he's trying to say here is that, our, excuse me, arguments, arguments, and debates don't accomplish much. But verse 15 he says, For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. By doing good. Not by arguing with them. Not by debating with them. Not by blogging about them. Not by your comments that are on social media. You're never going to straighten them out. And they're going to have that light bulb moment. And say, Oh, I've been wrong with everything I've said. They're not going to do that probably. How you're going to do it is, 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 is get up and do good. And say good. You know what? It takes more courage. It takes more strength and fortitude to return good for evil than to get even with somebody. It does. It takes more power. And that's the living testimony he's called us to be. And there are always going to be ignorant people and foolish people. Now, the word ignorant, there is a word that doesn't just mean 
that they just don't know. Now, they don't want to know. Do you understand the difference? They don't want to know. It is a word to describe willful, willful ignorance. They are ignorant because they ignore the truth. Right? Ignore it because they ignore the truth. Okay, that helps me remember things. Maybe not you. Anyway, uh, our obedience, though, does that mean we just have blind obedience? Just, you know, whatever. That's not what he's talking about here. That's why we take the whole scripture. I mean, yes, we're to submit. And this is Roman government. And there are a lot of bad stuff. But this is the same guy, Peter, who's writing this. Do you not remember who had to, in Acts chapter 5, he had to disobey the council who commanded them and, and gave a specific order that they were not to teach or preach in the name of Jesus. And yet he did, and yet they were arrested and they were beaten. And he said, we ought to obey God rather than man. Remember that? So, so you got to understand that sometimes obeying God might mean disobeying civil authorities. But listen, I want to tell you something. Before we run off with that, we should be very wary of, of mistaking God's word and God's will for our own desires, right? Because there's been a lot of times where we got to obey God rather than man and we run off and do something that I don't know for sure God was in it. Or we don't do something. You know what I'm saying? Because look at the context here. I mean, we got to be careful with that one. But there may come times we got to obey God first. And uh, so this is the same Peter who wrote that. And, uh, you know, uh, Paul also, there were times that Paul had something a lot of people didn't have. Most people in Roman Empire were servants. They were a type of slavery. And, uh, but Paul had citizenship because of where he was born and so forth and so on. It was a very uh, a prized thing, a privilege that he had. And uh, he wasn't beyond using that. Uh, you remember when he was uh, thrown in jail in Philippi and they were beating him and they threw him in there and then, and then, and then they wanted to bring him back out. And then he said, Hey, you going to come and just bring me out. I'm a Roman citizen. And you unjustly, according to Roman law, beat me and did this without any fair process. And now the magistrate was scared, right? And then there was another time the Jews were going to gang up and kill him. And uh, the, the guy in charge there uh, was going to, you know, kind of kind of ignorant of it. And so he appealed to Caesar because he had that right as a Roman citizen that protected him. And, and, and so Paul would use that citizenship in the right way. And that's why our responsibility is we got to use the privileges we have in the right way. But we got to understand that we're primarily concerned is to obey God. Now, here's what I find in Scripture. You want to just... The apostles, rather than spending all their time calling for revolutionary actions that would overthrow social systems, they concerned themselves primarily with the heart of Christians and their relationship with God. In other words, Peter's primary concern is not first with the transformation of society, but it's first with the transformation of individuals within that society. And as we are transformed, we have a transforming effect on the rest of society. Because see, what we want to do is we want to transform our society in certain areas, but we don't want to be transformed ourselves. And so really what the gist of the teaching of the apostles is, is that God wants us transformed and it's shown in our lives. And that, in fact, will then transform the rest of society. It starts in here. And it starts the way we deal, even with unfair treatment. Because freedom brings responsibility. Did you know that? Freedom brings responsibility. And we have that freedom. In verse 16, he says, live as people who are free. We have freedom in Christ. But he says, don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Do you hear that? Do you hear that? But live as servants of God. Uh, the right attitude is imperative if we're to maintain our credibility among unbelievers. In Christ, you are free. 
Amen? In Christ, you have a spiritual freedom. You're free from this world. You're free from sin's condemnation. You're free from Satan's bondage. You're free from the law's penalty. You're free from death's power. But don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. This is because of our number one submission, and that is to the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to honor, he says, others. And we're to love others. We're to show our reverence and fear of God. And we're to honor the emperor. Wow. And then as he takes that on home. So this is the big area. Let's come on down to where you live. And then that's why he says in the next uh, thing, he says in verse 18, servants be subject. There's that word again to your uh, masters with all respect. Not only to the good and gentle, but also the unjust. And you're saying, what? I have my rights. We do have rights. And sometimes we need to assert those rights. But what's more important, your rights is God's glory. And then the right attitude is so important here as well. Now, we might relate this servants. You know, you know how does that relate to me today? We might relate it to our workplace today. You know, uh, as, as, as we are, you and I. Uh, our system's different. We're in a different system than what the Romans were in. In the Roman, you know, you were either free or, or you, were, you were a servant of some sort or a slave. And there are several different words used for slaves. And it's important to... Now, some of the old translations may translate this slaves. This is a word that literally is a household servant, a bond servant. That there were people who, because of debt that they had, they would attach themselves to someone because of money owed and they would become their servant until they worked out and served out that debt as a bond servant. Sometimes then that would even be continued at the end of that time of servitude. They actually were set free and paid off if they were owed money or anything like that. So there were a lot of different types of slavery and the type of slavery in the Roman Empire mostly wasn't like what kind of slavery we had in the United States 150 or so years ago. All right. And I want to tell you that even though slavery is mentioned a lot in the Bible, nowhere in the Bible is it condoned what happened, the oppressive practice of slavery, uh, not even in these verses. You need to know that because in years past, people even tried to use the Bible and use scripture and people always do to try to justify things that we do. But this slavery was different from the American slavery we had in certain ways. First of all, uh, these type slaves here, there were some that were prisoners of war and in exactly that kind of slavery. But for the most part, bond servants and things like that, they weren't kidnapped. It wasn't fueled by kidnapping people from their homelands and their families. It wasn't fueled by that. And it wasn't based on a particular ethnicity that made them easy to recognize. It wasn't based on that either. That anybody could be a servant or a slave in the Roman Empire, right? But it wasn't exactly the same. Uh, not everybody was viewed as property like animals. Okay, so you'll hear that. That's, that's not what he's talking about here. Now, the, that said, the Greco-Roman system could be very brutal and very oppressive. But uh, as I said, this was most commonly, this word applied to bond servants. Um, now, in all... Um, Likelihood, none of us exist in the exact same type of system as what they had in Rome. So how does this apply to us? Well, it's very likely that even though we're not bond servants or slaves, that many of us do serve a type of, are you ready? Master, right? That is uh, 
form in the form in the form of a supervisor or a manager or a boss that we are responsible to. So this applies there as well. The principle he writes to servants applies in the same way for those of us in the workplace, whether or not we have. I don't even like saying this, but whether or not we have a respectable employer. I mean, at one time, before I was full-time as a pastor, now I got to deal with Christians, which is the hardest thing of all. But anyway, um, and working in retail, there was a manager or two that knew I was a young guy going to Bible college and just wanted to make it tough on me. Just wanted to make it tough. And let me just say this, is um, <clears throat> uh, how you apply this can have a great impact on other people's lives. Um, there were some people that saw how I had to deal with some of that there. That a few years later, when we were pastoring at the Grace Church in southwest Oklahoma City, I was at the grocery store and I ran into one of the gals that used to work there. And she was really a mess. Uh, and, uh, but, but talked to me about the witness that not just me but a few others had for Christ during that time. Oh, and by the way, uh, just being faithful to the Lord and not thinking you get credit for anything or that anybody knows, only God knows. Well, God knows, but he's not going to do anything about it. I was still employed there when I got to see the uh, certain people who were just trying to make it tough on those who were Christians and had morals and standards. I got to be there the day that they were told to pack their stuff up and go and were fired. Um, you know, hey, I didn't know that was going to happen, but I, God says, I want you to do what's right no matter what. So I, you know what? Some of you have had that. You've been harassed. You've been persecuted. You've been used as a punching bag uh, for people because, uh, you know, but the thing that makes them more and more angry is when you don't return evil for evil, you return good for evil. Does that mean you don't have rights that you can appeal to? It doesn't mean that, but it just means they're going to see something different coming out of you than anybody else, all right? And that's why he tells us in verse 20, he says, but what credit is it when you sin and are beaten for it? Now, they used to do stuff like that back then, you know? You do something bad and they <laughs> whip you up good for it. You know, he says, what credit is it? You know, you deserved it. He said, but, he says, what you need to know is when you do good and when you do that and you suffer, if you endure, that right there is a gracious thing in the sight of God. That's powerful in the sight of God. I want to find grace in the sight of God. How about you? So he's dealing now, and as we finish this up, to our response to suffering. Because we live in this sinful world and because the government, even though we're to honor and respect and submit, and even though in the workplace we're to honor, respect, and submit, we are going to be mistreated. We're going to be mistreated and we're going to suffer justly or unjustly. And so that might be a question. Are you suffering justly or unjustly? I have a feeling a lot of times we want to blame everybody else for our suffering, but we may be bringing it on ourselves. They may not be picking on you. You may not be carrying your weight and they're trying to motivate you. Okay? Uh, I have to admit a lot of the suffering that I've endured, I brought on me myself. But there are times there is unjust suffering that you are doing right and you're trying to glorify God and you are suffering from it because of it. See, we live in a society that we want to get this idea that if I just do right, God ought to just make everything great for me. And there are preachers out there preaching and people are sending all kinds of money to them that are just like, you just do, you just do this and send in your check and everything's just going to be great for you. You never have problems. But right here he says, there are going to be a lot of times that you're going to do good, that you're going to do right, and you're going to suffer for it. Are you willing to go there? We don't want to, but he says, back up. 
Back up. What credit is it if you are suffering because you deserve it? But when you do good and suffer and endure, that's a gracious thing in the sight of God. That's what he's saying. So I have to ask myself, am I suffering unjustly or is it just me? All right. So as a citizen, a worker, or servant, or a family member, there are going to be times that you are going to suffer unjustly. It is going to happen. It's a given. It's also a blessed thing before God when you endure because of him. Now, our motive in this, our motive in this is to endure with the right attitude. When we do that, he's talking to people who were suffering. Listen, you need to know he's talking to people who are being picked on, harassed, and oppressed by bosses or masters and by the government. And so on our part, we're showing love and honor and respect and things like that. And we're going to return good for evil. But he said, the thing about it is you've got to have the right motive for why you're doing that. Did you see it? We follow Christ's example. He says in verse 21, did you, don't miss verse 21. Um, it's very important. Do you see that? I'm about done. So take a deep breath. Hang in there. Get some oxygen in that brain. Okay. Okay, let's go. For to, for to this you have been called. Really? I thought when I got saved, if I just get saved and trust the Lord and believe the word of God, that everything would just be fair and fine and easy. Now he says, you've been called. What's he talking about? Suffering. Being mistreated. Being treated unjustly. That's part of the calling. And you want to know why? Look at your Lord. You feel so sorry for yourself. Hey, the world isn't fair. The most unfair thing that ever happened was for Jesus to have to take all my sin and die for me and pay for that sin so I wouldn't have to pay for it and I could have a relationship with him and spend eternity in perfection. That wasn't fair, was it? But look, he says, because of Christ, he also suffered for you. He didn't just suffer. He suffered for you. And he left an example so that you might follow in his steps. So you feeling pitiful. When I feel pitiful, and I do often, I just think, you know. And what we're going through is nothing compared to what Jesus went through for us. Amen? It says, and he reminds us, he reminds us that, you know, that he committed no sin. All right? Okay, here's the thing. When I suffer, you probably look very much, you will find something worth punishing. It's going to be there. But not Jesus. No sin. He was perfect. When he, he reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten. I mean, he could have called, what, 12 legions of angels to destroy the world? That beats, that beats what I got, okay? <laughs> but he didn't. And it says, he just trusted himself to the Father's plan is what that means. And then verse 24, it says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree he did that. He suffered so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Now, that's the whole thing. It's, it's even pictured in our baptism, right? As that we're baptized the way we baptize by immersion, death to sin, and live and resurrected into righteousness. That we might die to sin, die to self, and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you're healed. And you know that old passage way back in Isaiah? You know, don't miss this. That Yes, he, he talks about our hurts, our emotional hurts, our physical hurts, our diseases, and things like that. But the biggest problem you and I God is sin in our life and he died and those stripes and that crucifixion was mainly about that to save the biggest wound we had in that sin and he says he applies it right there in that way to live the righteous by his wounds you've been healed and so uh, that's the thing 
that he says, and he says he's like the, you're like a straying sheep, but he's your shepherd. He's your overseer. He, hey, listen, what does a shepherd, what does an overseer do? Keeps an eye on the sheep. It's not up to you to even the score. It's not up to you. He did all this for you, so that helps you as you deal with suffering and unjust treatment. But understand, he's keeping watch. He knows, and he knows the truth. Does that help anybody? Wow, let's get out of here. I mean, let's take it home. <laughs> let's take, I just said that because I'm just looking at this. Let's get out of here. Okay, let's get out of here. Let's take it home. That's a better way to put it, right? Get your doggy bag ready. Let's take it home. And I'm going to take this thought. Only Christ, only Christ can offer hope for lasting change in my life. He's the only one that can offer hope for lasting change in my life. We, listen to me. Listen to me. We can reorganize. We can, listen, legislate. We can overhaul systems. But they'll still be run by sinners. You know, there are a lot of people saying, I don't feel like I can vote because it's always, every year they'll say, or every time they'll say, it's always the lesser of two evils. I have a feeling it's always going to be the lesser of two evils because unless Jesus is running for something, everybody's going to have a problem, right? Okay? But, but the thing is, no matter what we do or what we try to legislate, we've still got to deal with sin in people's hearts. Only Christ can offer hope for lasting change. And it's going to happen through our relationships with him and with each other when we choose faithfulness even in oppressive circumstances and especially then. Throughout history, the church has flourished not primarily based on persuasive arguments but by demonstrating the love of Christ towards its enemies. Powerful witness. Just like Jesus hung on the cross and he cried out, Father, forgive them as they were murdering him, right? Peter tells us that's Christ's example and it's one we're called to follow. And then as you go about your week this week, let this call resonate in your heart. Ask the Lord to help you see opportunities to practice this kind of obedience and courageously follow him and be willing to return the good for evil and trust him with the results. Amen. So I have to ask, how can I demonstrate love and kindness even when I'm treated wrong this week. Because that takes something supernatural, doesn't it? That might be, that might be more than your arguments or what you say. That might be what breaks through to someone's heart that's resisting the gospel. And I found this, when people are in conviction, sometimes in your family, they'll treat you worse. Because they're sweating it out on the inside. But you keep living the gospel and being a living testimony and the gospel will break through in their life. Let's pray. Father, help us to do this. Help us to trust you. Lord, there's just so much here. And it seems like we have so little time. Help us, Lord, to understand Christ's example of submitting, Father, to your will. Help us, Lord, to crave obedience to you above our personal comfort. Help us to consider our attitudes toward authority and bring them in line with your word where needed. And help us to demonstrate your love and kindness even when we're treated unjustly. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.